I didn't mean to ruin the car. I just wanted to surprise Carolyn. It was actually last fall, and uh, she let me know that there was this charm that she really wanted for one of her bracelets because it reminded her of a trip that we had taken four or five years ago. And so she'd been looking for this charm, but unfortunately she was told that it had been retired. And so we just thought, well, maybe there's still one around somewhere. And so we called around, and we looked around, and we looked online, and, and it was just nowhere to be found. And so eventually, we just kind of gave up that uh, attempt to go and find that. And when she gave it up, I thought, this is perfect, because if I can now go find that somewhere, this is going to be an awesome surprise. And I thought, this will be a great thing. I can maybe find it and have it for her by Christmas. And, and so I kept looking. And, but it was nowhere to be found. I just kept looking, kept looking. And actually, as circumstance would have it, I actually found it. I actually found it in the South Hills of Pittsburgh. As far as I know, it was legal that they had it and I could buy it from them. And so I decided I've got to get down there and I've got to get it. And so that's what I did. I found a time when I could go and when Carolyn wouldn't know that I was gone and so I started off down the parkway that day, and I made it to about Aliquippa when all of a sudden the engine started racing, and I lost power in the car. And I was coasting along a little bit just trying to figure out what had happened. I knew it was something to do with the transmission because it just kind of kept slipping as I kept trying to drive. Now, it didn't slip completely and altogether. I knew that there was a little power in it because I could still kind of inch along a bit, but I knew that I'd lost something. In fact, I eventually came to find out all I had were first and second gear in the car that was left. And so what every sane person would do would be to pull off or turn around and just limp my way back home or get a tow or something like that. But I knew this was my only opportunity to do this undetected. And so I kept going. I just kept going. And I'm on the parkway and I'm making my way down. And of course, I'm not going very fast. And so people were coming up behind me and they were letting me know they weren't too pleased with the fact that I was occupying one of the lanes. They were honking. They were flashing their lights. They were giving me this special hand wave that uh, sometimes people do. And uh, so, so I found the first exit I could take and I got off, but I wasn't going to be dissuaded from accomplishing my mission. And so I kept going, trying to find my way down to this place in the South Hills on back roads that I'd never been on before. And uh, as the story would work out, I made my way all the way down there I found what I needed, I bought it, and I made my way back home. The trip that should have normally taken maybe a couple of hours took five that day, inching my way along um, in second gear as a, as a top gear. That's about how this trip was going. Now, in case there might be one or two of you who feel bad for me, and I doubt that, but in case that happened here, don't feel bad for me because it was my own fault. See, I had a lot of warning signs that this possibly could happen because the transmission had already been slipping some previous to this. It's just every time it slipped in the past, it came back. And so I could keep going. And so I just ignored the problem that existed, even though it had been re revealing itself to me many times along the way. And eventually it bit me. Eventually it got me. And I ended up in a difficult situation as a result of that. Now, that's one thing when it comes to a car's transmission. But sometimes that same sort of scenario unfolds even in 
our lives. Sometimes the consequences are even greater than what I experienced that day because sometimes you might get a warning sign that comes to you maybe from the boss. The boss is letting you know that something isn't quite right. It might be through a formal review. It might just be through something he says. It might be through the way that he starts to kind of distance himself from you, whatever. There are warning signs. Something's going on and you know it. And if you don't do something about that, it could very well be that there will be consequences. Maybe you would even lose your job. Or there are warning signs that flash themselves to us, these lights that come on in our relationships, maybe in our marriage, maybe in our relationship with our kids or with our friends or somewhere where there are warning signs where something's not going as well as it should go that there's something that is breaking down this relationship, and and we get the warning side before the relationship is ever over, and it gives us the opportunity to do something about that. And the fact of the matter is, the same very thing happens in our spiritual lives. We have certain warning signs, idiot lights, if you will, that go off in our lives that tell us that things are not as they should be. That we are not operating in the realm exactly where God would have us to operate. That there is something that really should change because this light is going off. This warning sign is happening that is telling us something isn't quite like it used to be. Something isn't right where it should be. Now, the good news is that if we go ahead and address that, if we recognize the warning sign and we go ahead and deal with it, chances are very good that you can rectify the situation and get back to the place where you ought to be. Just like in your car, if you deal with the warning sign, the idiot light is soon as it comes on, chances are good. The remedy is going to be fairly simple. might have some cost to it, but it's going to be fairly simple, and you're not going to get stranded if you deal with it. Well, spiritually speaking, it's the same way. If we would go ahead and deal with those things, that we wouldn't get stranded spiritually. But sometimes we just ignore the warning sign. We let the idiot light come on and flash at us, and we just kind of don't pay any attention. And Eventually, things get to the place where we find ourselves in deep weeds, deep trouble, because we weren't willing to address it when we had the chance. We're going to be thinking about that today. We're continuing on in our road trip sermon series as we're going down this road, if you will. We're going to take a look at idiot lights, at, at warning signs that are there for us, that we, can, that we can take as a sign to deal with where we are. There are a number of different ones that I think are common for us to experience that I want to go ahead and walk us through because if we'll deal with them, we'll get back on the path where God would have us to be. And some of us today are off the path where we should be. And it might be in one of these particular common areas that most all of us face at one time or another. And the first of those warning signs that I want to look at with you is a loss of focus. A loss of focus. There's an outline for you there in your bulletin that you can use to jot these things down as we go to jot down some additional verses from the ones that are given to you there. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've undoubtedly made a commitment to discovering what God's will is for you at some point along that way and have been working to make yourself move toward what His will would be for you. It might have something to do with sacrifices that you make of your time and ability, and you were all about that, and it was like, this is something I want to do, I've got to do to go ahead and move myself down the road of my relationship with Christ. And so you made those sacrifices happily. It might probably have corresponded with times in your life when when you have been most interested in being in God's Word, when you've been most 
most consistent in, in praying and going before the Lord in your walk. It might correspond with times when you've made a decision, I'm going to read through the whole Bible in a year, or I'm going to jump into a small group. I'm going to get myself into a Bible study. And you were going so well, but something happened. And that progress that you were making all of a sudden seemed to be stalled, at least a little bit, or maybe in a grand way. The discipline you once had to regularly spend time in God's Word was lost. The interest has waned, and maybe today you find yourself with that warning light going off in your life that this is not a consistent pattern for you at all. And we can ignore that or we can deal with that. And what happens is these things transpire. Instead of God being a primary focus that we are going after in our life, what happens is that God becomes a choice. He becomes just one more thing on all of the options that we have, the menu of options that we have, of priorities that we can pursue. It's not that you've completely lost interest in God. It's just that He's not the overarching driving force. He is now just one option on those, on the menu of your life. And here's the thing. It's probably not like you woke up one day and all of a sudden you're just disinterested. My guess is that it just sort of started to fade away a little by a little. It's just that life happened. And it always does. And, and it's not that the things that you have now been going after are unwholesome things. Now, it could be that they are. It could be that sin has crept in and that has been the thing that has caused you to lose the focus on who God is and what it is that He would have for you. That's quite possible. That happens for all of us, but not necessarily. Sometimes it's even good things. For many of us, it's that kids came along and all of a sudden it's like, well, I want to pour into my kids. That's a good thing for me to do. The Scriptures would have me to do that, but it takes time. And sometimes that steals away from you the focus that you otherwise would have had on Christ. Or it might be career, and the opportunity came up for you to move yourself forward and advance yourself in your career, which is a good thing for family, right? It's going to help you to provide that much better. That's awesome. Nothing wrong with that. But it starts even when we start to pile on the good things, other things start to get crowded out. So we've got these good things and this whole menu of good things, and it's like, I've got to figure out a way so that I can manage all of these things that are present in my life. And so it's like, well, I've got this figured out. I know what I need to do. I know what I need. What I need is balance. That balance is going to be the thing that is going to be the answer for me. And so we start to pursue balance. But here's the thing. Balance is a very important principle to learn, but it is not the answer when it comes to maintaining a spiritual focus. In fact, you might say that balance is the enemy to getting yourself to that place. See, God has created us with great intentionality, and He's put the stamp of His image right upon us. Then He sent Jesus to come into our world to provide us freedom that we can enjoy, that we can celebrate, freedom from our sin, freedom from getting stuck in who we are. And then he put a call on our lives. But that call was not to make him one of our priorities that we balance with all of the rest. That's not what his goal or his call is for us at all. In a sermon that Jesus preached, he taught about this very thing. He pointed out to the people that in their attempt to provide balance, what they ended up doing was elevating food and 
and drink and, and clothes to a place where they were actually competing with the place that Jesus was to have in their own lives. He didn't say that those things were unimportant. In fact, he said that they are important, that to have some desire or to move after them, those are things that we need for our life. That's not what he was saying. He said that there is something that needs to supersede all of those things. Here's how he said it. He said, but seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. All these things will be given to you as well. That's not just a prosperity gospel that is saying, whatever you want, you can have. Whatever you want to go after, God's going to provide that for you fully and completely. No, that's not what it's saying, but it is an acknowledgement from God himself that following after him doesn't mean you have to give up food and clothes and family and, and career. You can have all of those things that you need, but it's to be kept in perspective, not balance. Contrary to what we've been told, you've not been called to a life of balance. You've been called to tip the scales toward Jesus. That there should be an umbrella of Christ over all of life. And all of those other sub-priorities ought to fit within that framework. Now that's not demeaning or diminishing the importance of those things. It's simply putting them in their right alignment. And as they're there, you can lean into them and you can experience the fullness of what those have to offer all under the umbrella of the fact that Christ is your focus. So my question for you in this regard is, as it comes to a loss of focus, as you examine where you are in your life right now, is that light on for you? Is that warning sign there? Is it going off? Is it flashing, telling you, you're not where you were? You're not where you need to be? Is that light on in your life? And if it is, what do you need to do to move back toward it? To get that to be turned off? To apply the fix that is necessary to get to the place where the light comes off? And where that focus is restored in running after Jesus and having him at that pinnacle place. Not balanced with everything else, but at a pinnacle place. First warning sign is a loss of focus. A second one is a loss of passion. A loss of passion. In Psalm 84, the psalmist begins with these words, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. That's beautiful. And that's convicting. I'm convicted by that. Yearning, fainting, crying out for the Lord. That's a lot of passion. Unfortunately, there are times when the passion wanes, like the focus wanes in our life. The passion can wane in our life also. This can be as it relates to spending time with God and reading His Word. The passion that you once had to be in God's Word is not what it used to be. It can be a passion for being together in God's presence and worshiping Him side by side with other believers, that that just isn't the driving force that it once was for you to get together it might have to do with the passion that you have for people who are apart from Christ. When you were first a believer, it's like, I got to tell everybody what's happened to me. My family, my friends, my coworkers. I just got to be out there. I just got to do it. But that's not really your experience anymore. 
whatever area that might be in. The question that I think comes up is, how do I get it back? How do I get it back? It would be wonderful if we could just wake up one day and say, okay, starting today, I'm going to be passionate about all those things. That would be fantastic if we could do that, but experience tells me and probably you also that that probably isn't going to stick. Even if it's something that you kind of really feel strongly in that moment, in that day, just that alone isn't going to make it stick. That's because passion isn't a decision of the mind, it's a response of the heart. It's something that comes because we have been moving ourselves in a particular direction. And the passion is something that grows just as though, just as it doesn't immediately just fall away, it doesn't immediately come back. It grows away as we allow it to, and then it gradually comes back as we draw it back. The rebuke that the Ephesian church receives in Revelation chapter 2 isn't that they have, God doesn't say, I have this against you, that you've left your first decision. It's that you've lost your first love. It's there, there's a depth of emotion, a depth of passion that is saying, this is so much a part of who I am, not a decision I made, but who I am deep inside that I'm going to go after this. How does that happen that we lose that sort of passion? Well, we lose our passion because we stop feeding it. Because we stop giving it what it needs to grow. You stop feeding something, it's going to shrivel up and die. And some of those things that fed that passion for you, my guess is if the passion isn't there, you've stopped feeding it. It's only when we do start feeding it that we see that passion start to rise up more and more and that those spiritual passions can thrive. That's why Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If you've ever gone on a fast, you might have experienced that very principle just in that time of doing so. The longest fast I've gone on is 21 days without any food. Now, I don't say that for you to say, wow, that's, that's, really, that's really awesome, because it wasn't that awesome, because I basically wasted those 21 days, spiritually speaking, because I didn't have the focus. I wasn't maintaining a, a drive to get after Christ and to replace the things that I was giving up with something that was much better. I did not do a very good job during those days, so it's not about that at all. But on the food side of things, those first few days were torture. Actually, the first day wasn't so bad because you can just sort of muster the willpower to get through that one. But by day two, all I could think about was food. I mean, I was so hungry, I was about ready to eat Brussels sprouts. I mean, it was that bad. By day three, I was looking at daisies, wondering what those petals would taste like. It got bad for a little while. But then day four, things started to change just a little bit. I wasn't as hungry on day four as I was on day three. By the end of the first week, I really didn't have any hunger at all. I really wasn't desiring to have it, and it just sort of went away. It just sort of disappeared. When I stopped feeding my body, the hunger for food went away. Just like when you stop feeding your passions, when you stop feeding your soul, the hunger starts to go away, and it dissipates as well. Here's the thing. A couple weeks later, when it came time to break the fast, I still really wasn't hungry, but I knew I needed to eat, and so I did. And as soon as I started eating, as soon as I started feeding my body, the hunger came back. Stronger than ever, it just came back, and it came back. 
That's how it worked for me in a physical realm, and that's exactly how it works for us in the spiritual realm also. If you're lacking a passion today, the chances are you have not been feeding what was previously that passion. But I can tell you this, as soon as you start to feed it, you're going to get to the place where you desire more of it and more of it. And as you continue to fill that space back up, the passion is going to grow more and more and more. So the question would be, is this light on in your life? Is there a warning sign going off as it relates to you just having a passion that you used to have for Christ and for the things of Christ and for the people of Christ and for the priorities of Christ? If that idiot light is going off in your life, that warning sign is going off, you need to start feeding those things that God has called you to live by. And as you do, I think you're going to provide the fix for that warning sign and the light's going to go off. You'll experience that passion once again. Another warning sign that indicates that there's a trouble brewing is a loss of humility. A loss of humility. This is a particularly ominous warning sign because when this light is lit, there really isn't anything in your life that isn't touched by it because it is just a foundational understanding of who I am and how I interact with the world. And it's particularly insidious because while the light is flashing, everybody around you can see it, but you probably can't. You probably don't even recognize that it is going off. So how can you get to the place where you would start to recognize that for yourself? Well, one of the things that you can do is you can go to people who are around you, people that you're close to, people that you trust, and you can ask them to shoot straight with you. How am I doing in this regard? And hopefully they'll be honest with you. You could ask yourself, am I teachable? Am I willing to learn? Can people tell me anything? Or when they talk to me, am I really not listening all that much? I'm simply formulating my response so that I know what I want to say so that it can be about me when I talk, when they finally stop talking themselves. Can you let other people be the expert? Can you let other people get credit for a job that's well done? Or when they tell you about it, do you have to say, oh, well, let me tell you about when I did that once, and you kind of one-up them? Can you let other people have the credit? Or do you have to chime in with, well, let me tell you what part in that project I had that really kind of got it off the ground in the first place? Are you able to give of your resources, your time, and your money for the sake of other purposes and other priorities beyond yourself? Or do your resources really pretty much, for the most part, need to be spent on you? These are all warning signs that it's all about you, that that's how it's become. The Apostle Paul has spoken directly to this circumstance in these very pointed words. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That is a core value for us here around Pathway. should be a core value for all of us just because it's, it's the Scriptures themselves, but it's a way by which we try to operate in ministry and in our in our individual lives, looking to the interests of others above our own, that's very much, as you know, those of you who've been around for a while, very much what the heart of All In was all about, is that we'd be able to provide for people around the world and in our own community 
people that we hadn't met yet. That certainly was the driving force behind the building to provide additional space that we were out of at the time so that we might be able to have additional kids and families that could come and take part in what was going on around here. And today we're so blessed to have many of those people who we hadn't met yet at that point here and with us. And some of you are those people and you're, you're such an encouragement to us to have you and see you and get to know you and have you a part of the Pathway family. Looking to the interests of others above our own helps us to recognize the way that God has called us to live. So is that warning sign on in your life? Is it flashing saying, you really need to think of others more? You really not stop, need to stop making the focus all about you? You really need to consider how you might bless others. If it is, again, you might not even see it. But ask yourself, according to some of those things, can you let other people have the top position? Can you celebrate somebody else's win without having to think about how can I get some light, some limelight here myself? All right, one last warning sign that is essential that we would recognize is a loss of hope. A loss of hope. It seems as though more than ever people are losing hope. And I got to tell you, I'm not surprised. If you just look across the political landscape that exists in our world, the divide that is present between two different sides, I can't remember it ever being a greater chasm in my lifetime than what it is today. The pornography issue is devastating lives and families in ever-increasing numbers to the place where it's like it's almost an expected thing to hear and learn about someone who is dealing with that. And there are many, no doubt, listening right now who are in that boat. You need to recognize there is a warning sign that is flashing at you, begging you to do something different, to get the help that you need because the devastation is happening all around you. You've got a great divide on sexuality and preferred lifestyles. You've got kids taking guns to school and killing kids and that same sort of scenario happening in all kind of different contexts. Just another one this last week and it will not surprise you if another one happens this coming week. That's how bad it is. That's how bad it is. You've got racial tensions as evidenced by the death of Antoine Rose right here in Pittsburgh and the protests that have followed after that. And you wonder, when is this going to stop? Where is all this heading? And it's left you discouraged, and I get that. I feel that myself. Where are we going in this? And instead of now having an excitement and an anticipation about what's to come, we end up being cynical and we end up being afraid and we end up losing hope like we're talking about. But you don't even have to look outside of what's going on around you to lose hope. You can look inside your own soul. And you can see that hope is even on the run from you. That's because many of us are stuck. We're just going through the motions of our spiritual experience and our faith is weak. And we're not interested in going and taking any hills. We're not interested in blazing any new trails or seeking after new opportunities because our faith is weak enough. We don't know where those things are going to take us. And so we're just going to kind of sit still. And we're just going to let ha life happen as it does. And as a result, the present that we're living is actually the outgrowth of a, pa of a past. And we're allowing the past to simply be repeated in us because we're not pressing to something that is yet future, something that is out in front of us, because we're afraid of what might happen. And this can be a real problem because just think about your past. 
Many of us spend all of our lives running from our past, wanting to get around it, wanting to forget those things that we had done. We don't want to bring that into the future, but if we're not reaching for a new future, you're living out the past and the present. It's simply where you are. It's simply the way that it works. And even if you're in a position today where you say, I'm pleased about my past. I look back with great fondness on what had happened in the past. Is that still really where you want to live today? What you want to have be your future? The best way to live? There's this fascinating passage in Isaiah 43 where the Lord is speaking and he's recounting the blessings that he had poured out for the Israelites and the ways that he had helped them to overcome the problems that they were and the miraculous deliverance that he had provided. And here's what he says. He says, forget the former things. He just remembered them. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. This is awesome. You see, it doesn't really matter if you think of your past with pleasure or pain. That's never intended to be your legacy. That's not intended to be where it is you're going for tomorrow. Not just celebrating what the past was. Not dragging it into the present and then on into the future with you. That is not your legacy. Your legacy is ahead and unless you pursue it, you're never going to possess it. Until you pursue it, you're never going to possess it. Paul wrote, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now that's definitely pointing to an eternal reward, but he says here that you've got to strain toward it. You've got to press on in that direction, which means there are steps along the way in the present that are the new things that God wants us to go after and to pursue and to discover and to live out. Don't fear the future because you don't know exactly where it's going to land you. God is walking with you. God is directing you. He's going to lead you into the future that he has in store for you, but you're never going to possess it until you pursue it. Even an unknown future with God is better than a known past. He's got something he has in store for you. And as you step back and look at your life, I would ask you, what warning signs are there? What lights are lit up in your life? In a car, if you don't deal with those, you're going to break down. And the longer you put it off, the worse it gets. Same thing is true spiritually. What are the lights that are on in your life? Loss of focus. Loss of passion. Loss of humility. Loss of hope. There can be others. There's a whole dashboard of life that is filled with lights that might be lit for you. What is it? Whatever those are, I just beg with you that you would not just let them stay lit. That you'd not just continue on today and tomorrow and the day after ignoring them because eventually they're going to rise up and eventually they're going to cause you to get stalled by the side of the road. You're going to end up in the weeds of the ditch because you just pretended it wasn't that big of a deal. What is that for you today? And what's it going to take for you to turn that around, apply the fix, and get that light turned off?
whatever it is, in this moment, just ask the Lord to provide you the courage and the strength that you might overcome it. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are the one who knows what those lights are that are on in our lives. And we do too. And we do too. Lord, I pray that we would not be ones who are willing to just ignore the lights that are lit, that are saying, deal with this. Deal with this. The warning signs that are telling us that things are not what they ought to be. Lord, make us courageous enough to be people who will walk into the center of the issue and will do whatever is necessary to overcome it, to get rid of it. Father, I pray you would make us courageous to not get discouraged about what is happening all around us, the news that we read and hear that discourages us, but that we would recognize that you are still carrying out your purposes and you have a place for us to fulfill in the carrying out of those purposes. And so, Lord, help us to see the future, understanding that you're in control, that you will lead us to where it is you'd have us to be, to serve in the way you'd have us to serve, with a focus that is intense, with a passion that is laser-focused, with humility, living in hope, partnering to accomplish what it is that you have given us to do. Lord, give us the courage to face the warning signs, to run to you, to find the solution and live in it. Lord, that's the commitment we make of ourselves today. We do it to honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.